G'day, you mob, and welcome to this episode of The Goss, where I sit down each week and chat with my old man. We have a bit of a chin wag, a bit of a yarn about all the news and current affairs happening in Australia this week uh, and, you know, sometimes worldwide as well. So, don't forget, guys, The Goss is short for the word gossip. What's the goss? What's the gossip? What's the news? Remember that, okay? What's the goss? What's the goss? So, today's a pretty good episode. It's a bit of a ripper. It's a great one. It's long, but it is in-depth. We cover heaps and heaps and heaps of different interesting topics that have been in the news, including the Holden brand of cars in Australia being retired. We talk about rat curators at the Sydney Museum of Hyde Park Barracks. We talk about um, the AFL, should it be named AFL-M and AFL-W for the men and women's leagues. We talk about Australia's oldest horse, um, richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, donating $15 billion to fight climate change. We talk about Germany quitting coal and what Australia should be doing. And we also talk about the shoe farce that's been going on with Nike, having created a shoe that people are wearing now and smashing records for races like the uh, marathon, the five-kilometer race, 10-kilometer race, a whole bunch of these things like that. So, it's a really good episode, guys. Don't forget, if you want the full episode, you want to listen to the entire thing, make sure to sign up for the premium podcast or the academy membership when you go to aussieenglish.com.au and you will get instant access to all of the GOSS episodes, the transcripts, the downloads, and their entire length, right? They're not 20 to 30 minutes long. That's just the first portion. They're actually much longer, and they're a great way of learning about news and current affairs, learning about how to discuss these, and most importantly, developing your own opinion about these topics so that you can talk about them in English. With that, guys, thanks for joining me again. Without any further ado, smack the kookaburra on the rump. And let's get going. Alrighty. Dad, what's going on? Welcome to this episode of The Goss. Hey, Pete. Good to be here again. I know. I know. We're smashing through these episodes. I think people are liking them. They're responding well. They're well, that's good. Yeah. They're Always happy to, them to on hear the way feedback. To work. Particularly <laughs> positive. But if you've got any criticism, give it to us. That's it. Give us the treatment. So, how's your week been? Let me open my drink. Yeah, busy. I've been looking after the granddaughter for a couple of days and again tomorrow. So, uh, and I was teaching last night and uh, the course that I'm running on landscape photography looks like it's going ahead. So, I spent most of today getting that prepared. So, what are you going to do for that in terms of um, organisation? Uh, it's just, I mean, I've run it before. So, it's more just going through what I did before and looking at what I wanted to change and just rewriting notes and things. So. They always tend to be the easiest... Uh, courses to make, right? The ones you redo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it's there's about a 10% difference between what I did last time and what I want to do now. Yeah, I remember there were always stories of people at um, university, the lecturers or the professors who, you know, spent years developing a course and then when they, um, you know, if if they got fired or something, the next person would be like, can you just give me your, your notes? And they'd and be like, no, you can screw yourself. <laughs> exactly. There's no chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Particularly back in the days when uh, everything was handwritten. Oh. And now that everything's online, 
it stays online. So, yeah, while the copyright is actually owned by the university, the intellectual property is owned by the individual. So mm. they can reuse it themselves uh, yep. anywhere they go, but they don't have the right to delete it and take it down. Whereas previously, if everything was handwritten notes and overheads that you put on the old <laughs> overhead projectors, you take them with you and they're gone. Yeah, I think actually I might have heard that story from mum, right? Yeah. Where yeah, she left Deacon yeah, and she, she was just like, there's no chance you're keeping my uh, my notes, you know, screw That's you guys. right, yeah. And they <laughs> rang her up the day before something was about to start and say, can we just get some advice here? And she said, yeah, $200 an hour. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> Which, funnily enough, they didn't pay. So, anything interesting in the week's news that you want to talk about first? I've got a shitload of different things. Yeah, look, I think the big news for the week is the Holden brand finally closing down in Australia. Uh, It's uh, the General Motors Holden uh, Mm. is the Australian branch of General Motors, the worldwide motor company. Um, It's been around for a long time. In fact, the company has been around since the 1850s. It was a saddlery company Mm. that started up in Adelaide in the 1850s. It's all in Ford, isn't it? And uh, look, it took on, I think, early 1900s. They started manufacturing cars to overseas designs, not Australian designs. And the first um, major contract I think they got was making T-model Fords. So... um, but then they sort of kept manufacturing vehicles and uh, and so on, and then making parts for vehicles. Uh, but then in the 1940s, there was a decision made by the company uh, to build an Australian designed car, uh, not just build and you know compiling yeah, overseas cars. What's the history with that? Because I know I've covered on the podcast before that we created the Ute, right? Yeah, in Australia, yeah. I, th- I believe there may have yeah. been a sort of contemporary. I think a few years afterwards, there was a sort of equivalent in the US. I'm not sure if they were directly influenced by Australia, but I know that we. the story goes that some guy wanted to take his family to church on the weekend and his pigs to market on the- Something like that. Something like that during the week, and he needed a car uh, with a back tray on it. The first model of Holden that was created in 1948-49- um, very soon after, they made a Ute version, which is, you know, for Americans, is the equivalent of a pickup truck. Yeah. Uh, so, with the tray back. And the, and the slang term Ute is from utility vehicle. Utility vehicle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's for use, right, yes. of like work-related yeah. yeah, stuff. Exactly. Tradies tend to have them these Trady Utes, yeah. There's a, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of Australian <laughs> jargon for you. Yeah, Trady Utes. They yeah. seem, they're still all over the place. So, I'm sort of surprised because Ford and Holden were the prime, primary- makers of those cars, right? Yeah, the Utes yeah. at least. And that was a big thing in Australia, the cultural rivalry between mm. Ford and Holden. You tended to be one or the other, right? I remember yeah. growing up and being a massive Holden fan. I, I don't know why. Yeah, you got, a, you got you had to pick red or blue. Yeah, that yeah. was it. So, uh, uh, and yeah, I sort of grew up being a bit of a Ford fan, but ironically, the first car I bought was a Holden when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, but it was more the, there was a, which sort of car do you prefer part of it? But then there was an also, which brand of car are you going to follow in motor racing? Yeah. Because our um, touring car motor racing has always been big in Australia, and obviously the major manufacturers of touring cars were Holden and Ford, and so they dominated touring cars um, for 50 years yeah. in Australia. So, these are the V8 supercars now that race V8 at supercars. places like um, Phillip Island and Bathurst, and Bathurst right? Bathurst, yeah, yeah. So, what's happening now with those races? Are they still continuing, but they're open to every They've always been open. Model? Um, yeah, because for a while, BMW came in, Nissan came yeah. in. Uh, I think Mercedes have run some vehicles in the past, but uh, the big V8 class, uh, there were really only two models of cars that were mm. uh, were in them, and that was the Holdens and the Fords. Uh, Ford stopped manufacturing 
in Australia about four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, they still do some manufacturing, but it's mostly, again, compiling overseas cars. We don't build Australian models of cars anymore. Um, and so, funnily enough, the Fords that have been in those racing are Ford Mustangs imported from America. Yeah. And, well, that was uh, the weird thing, I guess, now driving around. You see those things everywhere. They're a dime a dozen, right? They're, yeah. Every man and he do- his dog has a, um, a Ford Mustang now, yes. which is one of those things where when I first started seeing them, I was like, fuck, that's a nice car. But now that you see them everywhere, they're like rats. You're just yeah. like, well, they've yeah. lost their appeal because <laughs> everyone's got yeah. one. And look, they're, they're a great car if you like big V8. Yeah, monster cars. Yeah, uh, they, not very practical in terms of uh, efficiency. Not great for fuel economy. <laughs> no, uh, but, but they got a five liter uh, V eight engine, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and I was, that was my first story, the Holden one. With mm. and uh, it was funny. I, I think I posted on Facebook the the meme of football, meat pies, kangaroos, and position available. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> there used to be that song, Holden which, Cars. When yeah. was it? Was that from the seventies or the eighties? Seventies, yeah. And yeah. The, it was yeah, football, meat pies, kangaroos, and Holden cars, and that's all about Australia and yeah, Australian culture, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So, does it feel like you kind of? Do you feel a little disappointed that that's happened? Um, you know, do you think? that Australia's lost something now that both Ford and Holden, which were a big part of car culture in Australia, have moved operations off seas, overseas? Um, or do you think that was sort of inevitable with just how cheap cars can be produced now in places like Thailand and yeah. you know, China yeah. and everything, or at least the parts? Yeah, look, I, I'm sad in a way that part of my childhood teenage years and young adulthood of uh, not that I was a huge motor racing fan but I used to enjoy that rivalry of you know because when you're at least a kid at school everybody was either Holden or Ford well we were the same um, yeah, yeah 100% uh, and and so that will that will still stay there um, Ford will still be there who knows Holden will become Chevrolet they will simply import American Chevrolets into Australia and they will race them so it will still be a General Motors versus Ford yeah uh, but it won't have the same sort of parochial uh, component to it where these were Australian-made cars and the origins of that, what is now the V8 supercars, was touring cars. Touring mm-hmm. cars as in cars that you could walk into a lot and buy. Yeah. And originally, back in the 1960s, there were quite heavy restrictions on the racing man- yeah, the racing teams as to how much they could modify the cars because they were supposed to be like the car that your average Joe could walk into a car dealer and buy. Uh, Obviously, they tricked them up with safety and those sort of things and took a lot of things out to make them lighter and so on. But the engine and the chassis and the body were basically a touring car. Now, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Because, yeah, you look at the, the modern V8 supercars and, yes, they might have the same base engine in them as the one that you would pick up off the street, but <laughs> there's a lot of souping up that gets done to them um, in the physical structure and the motor and so on. Uh, but it's still the same essence. And so we're losing that, that we're not looking at Australian cars being driven around a racetrack anymore by Australian drivers. Yeah. Um, now they're so, going to be all Yank Tanks. Yeah. We call them and, the nickname, nickname for American cars that come yeah, over Yank Tanks. Yeah, the big American cars, the <laughs> Tanks, yeah. Well, I've seen some of those around. Sorry to interrupt, no, but some no. of those massive ones with like six wheels that are like the American equivalent of a Ute, which is not what we would think oh, of as the a big Ford a sedan with, the, with a utility yeah, thing on the back. The a tray. They call them Julies. Yeah, these things with are the, insane. The dual wheels on the back, but oh. they're they're mostly uh, look. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous in terms <laughs> of having them as a a standard 
vehicle to drive around. But most of the people who are driving those are actually towing big uh, horse floats or caravans and those sort of things where they need the capacity to handle a fair amount of weight sitting on the back wheels. Yeah, yeah. And they have restrictions. uh, And they've got restrictions on them. So you you need to have that strengthened axle and the double wheels and so on. Um, But if you see them just driving around the streets, they're a bit ridiculous. Well, you just see them parked at the shopping centre and you just take up one and a half car parks. This is a tank. Yeah, Yeah. it's like when we first started getting Hummers imported to Australia. You're like, who's buying these and for what reason? (laughs) I know. Well, Hummers are a really weird one because they were originally designed uh, to be desert military vehicles. Yeah. And so, size didn't matter because, you know, you made your own tracks. Um, and, you know, I've been into four-wheel driving for a long time, and people go, oh, you know, you go buy a Hummer. They're the best four-wheel drives around. I said, <laughs> it doesn't matter how good they are. You cannot drive them on a normal four-wheel drive track yeah. because the wheelbase is just wider. It just doesn't fit. So, you know, your average Toyota and Nissan and Mitsubishi and so on all has basically the same wheelbase, yeah. So certainly in width, and so you can drive along in each other's ruts. Mm-hmm. And often on some of the Alpine tracks, the ruts are a foot deep. Yeah, and so yeah, you, if you're driving something, it's a you know it's thirty centimeters wider. Uh, you've got one wheel in the rut and one wheel sitting up on the edge. Um, so yeah, it's well, that's, they're just, seven feet wide or something. So they're yeah. about they're over two meters wide, right? They're, yeah, they're like yeah. a foot wider than yeah, a normal about car. About thirty five centimeters wider than the average four wheel drive. So, but they are ridiculous. I yeah. saw I was following some guy on uh, YouTube when I was looking into cars and buying cars and. Um, he bought his dream car, which was a Hummer. And in, in the US, it's just insane the prices that, that cars get to, like they dip down to. So, he ended up buying a Hummer, his dream car. The guy's like 20-something years yeah. old. And he could literally drive over other cars. So, <laughs> as like a joke, a stunt, when he bought that thing, fully kitted out and everything for off-roading, he went to his mate's car lot where they had trashed cars yeah. and just drove over the top of two other cars, like windscreen and... Just yeah. crushed them, and you're just like, it's insane that someone can own effectively a monster truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know they're totally impractical, but uh. um, what was I going to say? I was looking up train history in Australia, so I can't remember how I got onto that, but I think it was an expression episode that I'm going to do in the future. And I was talking about train, uh, an expression to do with train, maybe train of thought or something like that. And I thought I'll do Australian trains, and I didn't realize how messed up. Our system is <laughs> the different track widths. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, I mean, you probably know better than me, but our, when the colonies were, were first all competing with one another and we weren't a unified country mm-hmm. before federation of Australia into a single country in um, 1901, they all the colonies were using different width tracks or at least several widths yeah, spread across the so standard, yeah. um, broad, and Wide then there gauge. was one in between or yeah. something like that. And then and it was so, narrow gauge as well. Yeah. And so every time you went between borders, you had to switch across. Yeah, so yeah, apparently, but- between New South Wales and um, Victoria, and this is where we have, I think it's Echuca and Albury. Uh, Wodonga and Albury, yeah. Wodonga, Albury, yeah. They yeah. have the two train yeah, stations have, that drive, are massive Yeah, there and I, I remember that. the first time I caught the train to Sydney when I was, I don't know, I was probably 14 or 15 years old. You had to change over. And, yeah, you you got to, you left Melbourne at, uh, I don't know, 7 or 8 o'clock at night. It took about four hours, five hours to get to Albury. And then, so at about midnight, the train would pull into Albury Station and you'd get off grab your bags, walk across the platform, get onto another train, and it would go again. Yeah. Uh, because the Albury was the end of the Victorian line and the start of the New South Wales I th- line. I think we had, in Victoria, we had broad tracks we had that were wider, wide, yeah. and Sydney had thinner Standard ones. Standard, well, they called it, yeah. Um, and look, the, the irony is um, that 
allegedly, and yeah, I've heard this several times, I haven't actually checked the details, but the width of a train track was the width of a single cart, single horse cart, the mm. wheels on it, so that when they were originally laying tracks for trains, they were using existing tracks, uh, uh, trails that carts were going along, not yeah. main roads, but yeah. you know, taking a you know, effectively a little walking trail that people would use with their horse and cart. And so because the, uh, the it was so a particular width, uh, then that was what the width of the tracks were to lay them down in the middle. Now, the English standard was the standard width. The Scottish one was the wider one. So yeah. the joke is that Clydesdale horses come from Scotland and they've got a fatter <laughs> ass. So there was a wider track Jeez. for the horse to go down. Well, it was just so interesting because it was really eye-opening that a big part of it of pushing these train tracks and these train railways into Australia that was opening up the interior of mm. Australia because for a hundred years, even though we'd been the European settlers had been in Australia around the coastline, they hadn't really pushed in into the right. interior and they had no way of transporting stuff out. So a big reason for the trains in the first place, I think, was getting wool and wheat yes. off the farms. Mm -hmm. And then they finally started finding um, obviously gold in the eighteen hundreds. And then after that, I think they found, um, especially in one place that was on the border of South Australia and New South Wales, they found a shitload of silver, zinc, and I think copper mm -hmm. at one of the Broken mines Hill. there. Broken Hill, yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing was that, that South Australia had gone almost to Broken Hill and New South, like many years before, New South Wales was trying to come to the side to get there as well. And um, I think for some reason, South Australia was, wasn't legally allowed. Like, the government said they're not going to Broken Hill. So, a private company opened a 50-kilometre stretch of railway between the two and did so much trade that they're actually the only railway company in Australian history, and it was a private company, um, to make a profit. Yeah. And they, they killed it. Uh, yeah. Because of all the transfers and all the silver that was going out. Yeah. So, well, interestingly, the uh, the railways, as you said, uh, was originally around getting agricultural products out of rural areas yeah. um, down to ports, mostly. Um, and before that, before the railways went through, uh, most of the New South Wales and Victorian uh, farmers used to do it by... Boat. Horse, horse yeah. too, right? Well, horse to the rivers, yeah, and then they would have big paddle steamers going yeah, down the Murray the and Murray the Darling River. River. Yeah, um, the irony now is that um, you can't float a paper boat down the Darling River. <laughs> <laughs> you can drive down most of the Darling River because it's dry, yeah. um, whereas the Murray still has them there, and we still have paddle steamers. They're yep. no longer used commercially, but they are there for tourism. Well, you and um, Mum went on a paddle we have we've been on a couple of times. Months. Yeah, yeah. Mum's fortieth birthday, and then yeah. your grandfather's seventy fifth. I think we. Uh, so are those some of the original paddle steamers that have just been maintained? some of them are the one that we went on that does the overnight trips has been recently made. In fact, it was made. Okay. I don't know. It was for the TV series All the Rivers Run, but okay. it was featured on it and it was fairly new then um, and it became famous because of that. Now, All the Rivers Run is a TV series, TV miniseries that was run in the 1980s, I think. What's so. the name of that girl that's in it, the actress, that's been in Sea Change? Sigrid Thornton. Sigrid Thornton. and also around the corner from you. <laughs> yeah, in North <laughs> Melbourne. That was weird. I remember walking up to her one day and just being like, I loved you in Sea Change. Thank you. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was just brilliant. I loved yeah. your acting. And I was yeah. like, what? she's just walking her dogs in North yeah. Melbourne. Um, but the, this, the interesting thing that I remember reading up on about um, the Murray River steam 
boats was that the railways were originally making a race to the Murray River because they wanted to cut them off and steal all the trade yeah. from them because all of the farms were bringing the trade there to go on the Murray or the Darling Rivers to go through Victoria and New South Wales out to South Australia and then into the port. I'm not mm. sure what the name of it is. Uh, in Goolwa. South Is it? Yeah, yeah, where they would get to the boats and go out. But if- if the trains got there, they could take them to places like Sydney and Melbourne really quickly, get them on boats much faster than a paddle steamer. Exactly. And, then, and so, they were doing a lot of things like price gouging and mm. dropping the prices a heap and they killed the industry of the steamboats yeah, within you know, yeah. a few years. There's only a few years. So, yeah, there's a lot of those sort of weird things that went on. Uh, but the funny thing too- Building infrastructure. In, in South Australia, they originally tried or they thought that- the trains weren't going to be something that would last at the ports and bringing goods in and they thought it would be horses. Mm. And so, they still had- I think they still have the original train that gets pulled by horses um, down to the port there for a, a portion of the railroad right. road and they'll, yeah. sh- they'll take you on it as a tourist thing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, With the cars, you were talking about how there was sort of a-, a I guess you would have called it a- um, what's the evolutionary term? A, an arms race, right, between yeah. the different companies oh, trying to to make the cars better and better and better and they sort of had to cut them off for the, mm-hmm. you know, all those modifications. There was a thing in the news this week about uh, the guy who ran, I think he broke the five kilometre record by like a minute using Nike's new shoes, which have... Uh, an elastic midsole foam and integrated carbon plate. Yeah. Oh no! This is the guy who broke the world. Yeah, the fastest. He's he done broke a whole two bunch. hours for the marathon. Yeah, I think using well, those. actually the it may are, not have been the same guy, but I think no, the it was shoes one of the same are guy, used. but it's the same shoes, and they're effectively they're just putting a spring in it. Yeah, um, well, they've designed the shoes in order to return as much energy to the runner as possible with every step. So, so it's a spring. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, exactly. That's all a spring is. It's, yeah. just, it's just returning momentum. So. I mean, it's interesting because I was energy. like, my initial thought was, you know, fuck these guys, you know, just smashing these records by using technology. And then I'm like, well, if it's a shoe, you know, the average person can probably afford to buy even the most expensive shoe to compete in racing. So, Uh if it's available to everyone, should they be able to use it? And I was reading an article that was comparing it to some of these other sports like swimming where we had a big issue, I think, probably around the 2000s, the Olympics here, right? In Australia with the swimming suits that- Oh, they were doing crazy things with that, right? They took 20 minutes to put on these special skin-tight suits. They did special, like, had, nan- had nanotechnology. Mic- mount- micro-channels in them that yeah, would allow the like water to flow over skin, the surface right? and reduce the friction. Yeah, uh, so th- that was one of those things that was kind of, like, mind-boggling because you think, why would adding all these little bumps on the surface improve it, but it's, it, like, holds the water close to it yeah. and the other- the friction's reduced and the, the water goes over the top really quickly, like a golf ball, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was a big issue at the time and I think the sport they decided- got, they, nah. did, they just banned them, yeah. And the problem there, though, they were saying was that those suits were very expensive. Oh, yeah. Thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah. Individuals couldn't afford them. It was yeah. just the companies that were giving them to Olympic swimmers to be able to wear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, your average person in, you know, competing in a local swim meet you know, <laughs> down in Geelong isn't going to be able to go and buy a $2,000, $3,000 suit uh, that wow. you can wear a few times and they fall apart. You know? <laughs> so- yeah, exactly. And then, But the next thing was uh, cycling. You know, so we have swimming where they've changed it and they just said, you know, we're not going to use this stuff. We have these this running now where people are like, Ugh, all these records are getting smashed, which, you know, might be a good thing. But at the same time, it's because of technology more mm-hmm. so than, than people, you know, 
using their attributes. I guess, you know, they're using their attributes, but they're sort of getting a boost. But cycling is apparently ridiculous in terms of the amount of money that gets poured into the technology. So, they were saying something here like um, the road bike for the Team GB, Great Britain, costs like 130 grand. Yes. So, $130,000. It's carbon fiber. You know, seven of my cars. Yeah, it's 200,000 Australian (laughs) dollars. It's... um, (laughs) And they are uh, carbon fibre and titanium yeah. um, in order to make them strong, yeah. to flex less and, and um, to be really light. Um, and, you know, that technology is ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I remember when you know, I was never you know, racing bikes, but I had friends who were into cycling and they bought, you know, what was at the time considered to be an Olympic class racing bike. Yeah. It cost probably three times as much as your average you know, bike that you would walk into a bike store and buy, um, but it weighed about the same amount of money. The technology then was in how smooth the gearing worked and those sort of things. Um, but, you know, now it's just gone crazy. Well, the funny thing was looking at the cycling stuff, they were talking about, and I didn't write his name down, but one of the athletes who was sort of experimenting with positions on the bike, I think mm. in like the early 90s, and he made his own bike, not so much using yeah. different materials, but with, changed where the handlebars, the handlebars were. Down. We had them closer to him originally, yeah. where his body was bent right over the top so that his head was parallel with the, you know, the oncoming mm-hmm. um, air, and he slashed all these records, and then they banned that position- yeah. Because it had an effect of changing yeah, it, and yet they've allowed technology to keep being mm-hmm. a big thing. So, what do you think of that? That sort of how much um, should we allow technology to, you know, interfere with with sports or improve sports? Well, look, if it's available to everybody, then I don't think it's an issue. Steroids, um, yeah, steroids. Well, yeah, if we're taking drugs, <laughs> drugs is a different story. But they're um, cheaper. You can afford them. They are. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, drugs are a, a different story. But g'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again... Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.